Welcome to My American Melting Pot. It's season two. Yay! This is the podcast where we have conversations about pop culture, parenting, and identity politics, all from a multicultural perspective. I'm your host, Lori L. Tharps. I'm an author, a journalist, a mother of three, and a self-proclaimed diversity diva. I'm really glad you're here because we have a lot to talk about. On episode 10 of My American Melting Pot, we're going to be talking about interracial friendships. Not interracial romance. Been there, done that. We're going to be talking about interracial BFFs, besties, and bromances, both in real life and in popular culture. Why do these relationships matter? How are these friendships depicted in movies and television and in the books we read? And what does age have to do with how these relationships are portrayed and their potential success rate? Joining me to dig into this discussion is my friend Clarissa Cruz. Clarissa is a Filipina-American based in Los Angeles. She is a features editor at Entertainment Weekly magazine and the former fashion features editor at O, the Oprah magazine, and the former style editor at People magazine. And she has written for InStyle, Inc., Food & Wine, and Time Out, among others. She has also appeared as an entertainment expert on television shows including The Today Show, The CBS Early Show, Good Morning America, and Access Hollywood. Clarissa is married to an Australian man, and they have two of the most adorable children in the world. And we've been friends for almost 20 years, so I couldn't think of a better person to talk interracial friendships with. But before we can get to that conversation, you know we have to take a break for a Melting Pot Minute. Hello, Melting Pot community. For today's Melting Pot Minute, I want to do something a little bit different. I want to tell you about an exciting project that we've become a part of. We have partnered with The Five Shorts Project to help them spread the word about their organization and their upcoming film festival to be held in Philadelphia on April 27th. The Five Shorts Project was founded by Shamika Sawyer. Shamika is the creative director for the project, and her primary goal was to create a project that offers opportunities for aspiring filmmakers and actors alike to gain experience and to learn the filmmaking process. With a focus on increasing diversity and inclusion within the independent film industry in the tri-state area, the Five Shorts Project has a mission to create and share content that represents aspiring filmmakers and diverse stories. The Five Shorts Project actually helps aspiring filmmakers create a short film. Each participant who joins the project learns the filmmaking process from development to distribution. The organization has enabled local actors, directors, and crew with little to no experience to gain industry credit via IMDb. When they're complete with their project, each season of Five Shorts ends with a screening and is aired on Comcast and Verizon. So you can see why I wanted to get involved with this project. They're all about telling diverse stories and enabling members from the community from all walks of life to get their stories out of their heads and onto the screen. So if you're like me and you love diverse stories, particularly in films, you should definitely check out fiveshorts.org. And if you're in the Philadelphia area, come to the Five Shorts screening on April 27th. You can check the website for the details. Now, speaking of diverse stories, let's get to our conversation about interracial friendships in pop culture and in real life. 
Welcome to My American Melting Pot, Clarissa Cruz. Hi, Lori. <laughs> I am so happy to have you to have this I'm conversation. I'm so happy to have you, too. <laughs> Yay. So, Yay. Well, we embody this whole interracial friendship thing, don't we? Exactly. Exactly. And so before I start asking you some questions, I just want everybody to know how you and I became friends. Okay. And like, feel free to add in if I miss anything. But Clarissa and I worked together at Entertainment Weekly years ago. A in long the time ago. In the late 90s. <laughs> oh, and gosh. I think I was there before you or we were there this we got there at the same time Yeah, around the same time we sat near each other yeah we sat next to each other and we were both book reporters we started in the books department I went into fashion for like a hot second and quickly got myself out because I don't know anything about fashion and Clarissa like blew up in the fashion section right I don't know about that um but we used to go have lunch together with our other friend, Connie. Hi, Connie. Hi, Connie. We used to sneak out sometimes and go to Popeye's Chicken when it opened uh. up. And I was like, I can't eat fried chicken in the office in front of white people. That's embarrassing. So we have to eat it out. But, but you'll do it in front of the Asians. Right. <laughs> I, I, I like love I had, Popeye's. I know. And I was like, I found my soulmates because you guys <laughs> ate Popeye's chicken. And I was like, oh, my God, I feel so at home. So, yeah. There's always oh, usually yeah. like food between friends. Like that's what yeah. brings people together a lot oh. of times. So it's like it's one of the best things in my life is food. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I want to just set up this conversation with a couple of statistics about where we are as a society okay. with our interracial friendships. So first of all, I think you and I obviously know this, but that interracial friendships are good for America. They're good for society because Interracial friendships basically help people understand about race and racism in a very personal way. And these can lead to moral growth and increased knowledge of other cultures, right? Um, Absolutely. And also, just so we know where we are in this country of ours, apparently 15% of the United States population say they have at least one friend of another race which is good, and that's actually a big increase from, let's say, really? in 1985. Yeah. What well, was it in 1985? Because that seems kind of low to me. Yeah, it was 9% in 1985. Oh. But, wow. yeah, so it's growing, it's increasing. But when you think about the fact that means 85%, which is a gross majority of the population, does not have even one friend of oh. another race. Am, it's kind I'm, of disheartening. Yeah. I'm surprised. I mean, I wonder if it's because, uh, I mean, you and I met in New York, and now I live in L.A., and I feel like those are sort of more diverse cities to live in. So maybe that number just seems low to me because it, it just seems low. But um, Yeah, well, what's interesting is that if you dig into those numbers, it's not shocking, but people of color, because we are a minority of the population— we tend to have more interracial friendships because we are often in spaces where we're not going to have a lot of people of our own demographic. So we have to make these friendships. And not surprisingly, even though the percentage of white people who have interracial friendships is growing, it still shows that white Americans exhibit less interracial friendliness I don't know how that was measured, but this is a study that was done (laughs) than, say, African-Americans, for example. So we're in a situation where, according to the numbers, and all of these numbers are all slightly suspect because you can't prove 
but somebody is somebody's friend. And a lot of times people are like, oh, I have a black friend, you know, but it's really not necessarily. But again, so most of these numbers are self-reported, but regardless, they're relatively low at 15%. But I want to ask you first, let's talk about, like you already mentioned that we are friends and we met in New York and you live in LA. And it sounds like you could say that you have more friends that are not the same race as you. Right. Well, this kind of goes back to what you were just saying, where I feel like just by nature, because I am a minority, most of my friendships tend to be interracial. Obviously, I have friends who are the same race, but it's not the majority. So I think just by nature of being a minority, you tend to have more interracial friendships just because of numbers, sheer numbers. Exactly. Um, And and that's definitely been my experience. Um, I also have friends who have mostly Filipino friends and family, you know, who, who tend to sort of socialize with the same race. But I think in general, and in my experience, it's been the opposite. So I was wondering, and I, I was thinking about this myself, I, I definitely have a lot of white friends, a lot of Asian friends, and a lot of black friends. I've never stopped to actually count to see like which right. ones I have more of. And I guess that says one thing, like I don't have a majority of black friends or a majority of anything. But do you think about your friends like, my interracial friends, or like, no, like do you I, think I about them that way? <laughs> no, I, I don't at all. Um, it's it's interesting because you mentioned my husband's Australian, so a lot of my friends are Australian um, <laughs> and I guess Caucasian, but there are also Australian Filipinos, and it's it's I don't know. I just I don't think of it that way. It's interesting because if I were to have taken that survey that you were talking about, I'd probably have to think about it a bit because I don't I guess categorize my friends that way. Yeah, I was thinking like, do I categorize my friends like that? And I was thinking <laughs> only back in college when I had two friends named Gail um, and there was like Thai Gail and Jewish Gail. <laughs> like like yeah. you had to specify so you understood right. which Gail I was talking about. It's more for like organizational purposes, but not for, <laughs> not exactly. for, not for choosing who your friends are. Yeah, um, the thing is sometimes like I still refer to my one. I'm like, you know, Tigail. And like my kids are like, why do you do that? And it's like, well, like, understand, like this 20 years of friendship where there was two Gales and there's still right. two Gales in my life. And I have to specify Tigail right. or Jewish Gale. But other than that, I don't think about my friends as like, yeah, I have this interracial friendship and, you know, so and so like I don't operate that way. But what I think is interesting is that we are talking about having friends of all different races And I think probably within our networks and our social networks, a lot of our friends have friends across different races. But for a lot of people, it seems really unusual. And I say that because like my mother, obviously my mother is black and her two best friends, one is white and one is Japanese American. And she was telling me, so my mom is in her early 70s, but these women have been her friends since I was like four years old. And to this day, she said that when the three of them go out together People are always like, oh, what what organization are you guys with? Oh, gosh. What group oh. are you guys in? <laughs> because they, is, she, is she still in Milwaukee? No, she's now in Florida. And like oh, her okay. two friends, one's in Seattle and one's in Colorado. So they get together like once a year and they do a big trip together somewhere, usually around the United States. But they say that everywhere they go, it doesn't matter if they're in New York, if they're in Seattle, if they're in Philly, wherever, people just kind of they assume that they're part of something, but they would never assume that they're friends. And you think it's the, the generation? I mean, because I think just, I mean, one of the, the things I wanted to talk about later is that it just seems like now there is so much more acceptance and 
and depictions of interracial relationships now, but maybe in your mom's generation, it wasn't the case. So maybe that's why people think yeah, that, I mean, um, I, I part of a group or something. Yeah, I think that that can definitely play into it. And it is true. And again, like research suggests this as well, that young people have more interracial friendships than older people. And I want to kind of segue into that, into our pop culture depictions, because, you know, as I was trying to think of movies that had people my age to like, you know, mid 30s up to, I'm not in the mid 30s anymore, but like mid 30s, (laughs) (laughs) mid 30s on up, you know, and I was like struggling a little bit. But like, if you think about shows that are aimed at younger kids from Sesame Street on up to today, it feels like, you know, when you put together an ensemble like kids show, there's often like diverse group of kids who are friends. But as you get older, you think of like buddy films or films that are about friendships in particular, and it becomes less and less diverse. So let's start this conversation about the pop culture aspects. Like when you think of like either a TV show or movie that's popular today or maybe within the last five or so years, what shows do you think of where there were good depictions of interracial friendships? Well, I think in 2018, there was a huge burst of depictions of interracial friendships. And I'm thinking, just like on Netflix, I don't know if you're familiar with To All the Boys I've Loved Before. Oh, my God, yes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which is like my favorite, my favorite movie. Um, But that's that's just one of the things. There was a spate of rom-coms on Netflix. And I kind of have rom-coms on the brain because like a month ago, we did a whole rom-com issue of Entertainment Weekly. So I was watching a lot of rom-coms and I was on Netflix and there was To All the Boys I Loved Before, which stars uh, Lana Condor, um, Asian-American actress. And it depicts her in high school. And I feel like there was no mention of race. It was just people were friends with who they were friends with. And um, there was a black character, an Asian character, white characters. And um, that wasn't the point of the movie. It was a rom-com and it was about the romance. And I feel like that was sort of indicative of where pop culture is going. And it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was another one. Um, did you see Set It Off? I love that one. That was uh, Lucy Liu. And, um, oh, my and, God. Uh, I love that movie. <laughs> Hey, Diggs. Um, but like you said, then they're done that with the romance because obviously the, the main thing was it was about these two interns who get their bosses together. And one is Lucy Liu and one is T. Diggs. And so that's the romance part. And that's not what we're talking about here. But I feel like just that kind of colorblind aspect with friendships, that that was the case in that movie as well. And it's just, I think it's a great thing in pop culture that there is more diversity. And I think that it's in this sort of um, rom-com world <laughs> that it's that's happening, but it's happening across other kinds of shows, too. I mean, I can just go and name them. There's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, yeah, go ahead. If there's, is there another one? That, is there one yeah. that you really like that stands okay. out? Okay. There's one that I'm obsessed with now, but only because I'm totally the target demographic. But there's a show on Netflix called Working Moms. <laughs> <laughs> have, have you heard of this one, Lori? I don't it's, know this one. I have to look you at have it. To wa- you have to watch it immediately because it's a show that's on, um, I, it's a Canadian show, so it's been oh, on for three seasons. I did, I did just watch the trailer for it. Okay, yes, it looks right, really you funny. To, you have to watch the whole thing because it's basically about these four women and they meet in mommy's group. I think two of them were friends already, but then they round out because they meet two others in the mommy's group. Mm-hmm. And one of them is an Asian American woman. And uh, another one is a lesbian woman who's married to a black woman. So it follows all of their stories. See, and I didn't see that. I didn't see that in the trailer. The trailer, they just showed the white women. And like, oh. no offense to, like, white women. Like, I'm, that's, you know, it's not a problem. But right. it just looked like another one of the multiple stories about white women and motherhood. 
I had no idea that there was a more diverse cast. That's kind yeah, of cool. One of the, yeah, the two of the main characters are people of color, and and it's hilarious. It's so funny. You have to check it out, just because I'd be curious to see what you think. I will definitely um, check it out. But yeah, they're friends, and they show them not just going to mommy groups, but going out to the club and, <laughs> and like doing fun things, and just like, uh, and it's just sort of a um, kind of irreverent depiction of a. Uh, modern parenthood, modern motherhood, because it's it's not just funny. It, they talk about some deeper things as well. And so that's one. I just feel like there's a lot. Another thing that's fresh of mind, um, there's a show called Catastrophe. It's an English show, but it's streaming on Amazon. And I just did a story on it, which is why it's top of mind. But um, the couple that it focuses on are white and it's set in London. But her best friend on the show is a teacher who's, one of her best friends is a teacher who's black. And so that's one um, friendship that's depicted on there. And then in the final episode, it shows one of his childhood friends who is, um, or not childhood friends, sorry, a coworker who is a friend who is black. So that's an, that's just a recent example that I'm thinking of in, in memory. So let's talk about the way interracial friendships are depicted in movies and television, because it does seem like a lot of times there's this kind of formula. So you have the yes. black best yes, yes, friend, yes. right, which mm-hmm. you just mentioned in Catastrophe. She has a black best friend. And mm-hmm. while that's like should not be a bad thing. Like, you should be able to have a Black best friend. But also, there's that sense where that's always the case of where you see the Black person as the Black best friend. And sometimes, again, I think in the the shows that we're seeing today, they're definitely more nuanced, but yes. you still fall into that. You know, the Black best friend is that sassy kind of, girl, mm-hmm. you know you know better not touch yeah. him or talk yeah. to him. And, like, the most current example of that that I was thinking of is in Kimmy Schmidt, right? Where, mm-hmm. you know, she has the black gay best friend, which, right. it, like, put all of the stereotypes in one character. Yeah, that, is def- <laughs> that is definitely a trope. That's yes. definitely something that, that is... That, and, I, and another one I was thinking of was Allie McBeal. Right. Like going back to, I guess, more of when we were right. working together. That, right. was a, that was a big thing. Right. And, I mean, you know, I remember thinking, like, she didn't have enough of a storyline. She was such a good character. I think her name was Renee. It was Allie and Renee. Yep, it was her yep. roommate. And, yep. and um, she was such an interesting person and sort of, I mean, obviously written as the counterpoint to Allie. But I felt like I wanted to see more of her. Yeah. That's what I was remember thinking at the time. Yeah. So that feels like a trope that we will see a lot is to get that black best friend as either comic relief or the black best friend as like the wise friend who's going to steer you right, you know? Right. Um, the straight talking, you right. know? Yeah. Right. Blunt, the, yeah. And then exactly. the other black white common friendship that I was like putting all of these in categories because I realized I was just listing shows and films and things. And then I was realizing there's a pattern here. The yeah. other pattern that I saw with the white and black friendships was the like extreme situation where like you have a white person falling down on their luck. And so then they become acquainted with a black person uh, and they become friends like yeah, Shawshank yeah. Redemption. Yes, I was thinking Trading that too. places. Yeah, it couldn't just be their friends. There right. has to be some kind of extenuating circumstance. Right, let's call it um, the extenuating circumstance friendship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's strange because that shouldn't have to be a matter of life and death <laughs> to, have, to try to have a, a friend of a different race. Right. Um, well, that's the, and that's the thing, though. It's like um, and I was so I was thinking like Shawshank Redemption, which is seriously like hands mm-hmm. down one of my most favorite movies. Yeah. Um, Trading Places. Again, I can literally recap the entire like I know the entire dialogue like 
for that movie by heart. But I'm like, right. wait a minute. These guys would have only been friends. Like, if Andy Dufresne had not been framed for murder, <laughs> he would not be in prison and met Morgan I Freeman, know. right? I know, And, I like, know. Dan Aykroyd would have, like, kept walking by Eddie Murphy <laughs> if they hadn't taken all his money away. And then I think my other favorite one, though, was um, the remake of The Little Princess. And I don't know if you ever saw this one. It's like now. I didn't. Tell me. So like The Little Princess, you know, she's like in boarding school and her father is in the war, World War One, and she's very wealthy. And then the father presumably gets killed, but he's not really killed. But she loses all her money and she has to become a like chambermaid at the boarding school where she used to be the little princess. And so in the remake, I think this must be a 1990s remake, she becomes a chambermaid, but there's a little black girl who was already a little maid at the school and they become fast friends. And in the end of the movie, when her father actually comes back, they stay friends somehow. And the little black girl and the little white girl like they, they, I guess they adopt her or something. I mean, it's not explicit, right. but you understand that they're going to stay friends. So I'm uh-huh. like, even that, like the little white girl becomes friends with the little black girl when she becomes a maid, right? It's like, yeah. it's like yeah. that's how come she becomes her friend. And even like Green Book, because it was like an extreme circumstance. I mean, it wasn't yeah. death or anything, but, you know, he was forced to become this driver because he got into some kind of, I don't remember, but he was having money problems. He had to take oh. this job. So it wasn't right. like, he was like, yeah, I want to drive this black man around. It was right. like... I don't have any other choices. I guess I'll do this job. In fact, he wasn't even going to take the job, but, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. The money was so good, he he had to do it. So again, these kind of extreme circumstances of where people, white and black, in these situations, they have to become friends because of outside forces. So another kind of example of interracial friendships that I noticed, and I could only think of one, like, right off the top of my head, but where you have, like, Asian friends and the Asian friend is always like quiet or nerdy. Like it's such a stereotype. And I was thinking of the Big Bang Theory of right, right, <laughs> like, or the uh, computer genius that um, right. that sets up that <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it's interesting because I think where progress kind of happens in a more subtle way are movies where. It tends to be an ensemble movie, and I'm thinking this is another thing that was big when we were in the office together, um, was The Fast and the Furious, Mm. where they're not token characters because the whole ensemble is diverse. So you got Michelle Rodriguez, you have Vin Diesel, you have Tyson, Tyson Beckford, and Devin Aoki. And they're all, they've all been, you know, in and out of the cast of the Fast and the Furious. But the movie's not about that. It's about them all being friends and liking to drive fast cars. And, and I think that depiction of diversity where, it's not the point of the movie, and it just is. I think that's powerful as far as normalizing it. And those movies were such big hits that you know that that message got across in a very subtle but effective way. Absolutely. And those are my favorite types of movies. I like movies where you have these, like you said, ensemble casts where it just so happens that that person is played by a person of color um, and they're friends with that person. But um, I have to give Shonda Rhimes, like, total props because Grey's Anatomy— is just, I think, a great example of a show where the relationship between Meredith Grey and, oh my God, I don't remember Sandra O's character's name. Meredith and Christina. Christina, thank you. Like, their friendship was awesome. Like, and, you know, it totally, like, I just felt it was a great friendship and it was about friendship and it had nothing to do with, you know, being, you know, race. Like, it had nothing, it had no racial undertones or overtones, whatever you want to call it. And I just thought that was so great. I mean, I just thought it was such a great relationship because Christina was just, she was just another doctor and she had such a 
non-stereotypical Asian character. I just thought that that was wonderful. And I feel like all of Shonda Rhimes' shows do such a good job of putting people together of different races, which, again, reflect our lives where, you know, that's what my life looks like. That's why I find it so crazy when we see that there's really only 15% of the population lives like we do, right? Right. Right. And I think it's depictions like that that go a long way, especially for a long-running TV show like that, that so many people watch. That goes a long way as far as um, normalizing and just and reflecting interracial friendships. Um, speaking of Sandra Oh, do you watch Killing Eve? No, I don't. But what's, <laughs> what's Killing Eve about? So Killing Eve, I mean, maybe it's like a, a little bit of a... Of a an extreme. This is another extreme situation, but um, Sandra Oh is is an agent tasked with trying to find this serial killer who's played by Jodie Comer, um, who's a white woman, and um, they're kind of obviously it's super um, crazy and kind of violent. But the undertone about the whole thing is that they're sort of obsessed with each other and kind of really understand each other, and it's a very un- I, to call it a friendship is. is <laughs> is a stretch mm-hmm. but i just i just find it so fascinating and one of the more interesting depictions of gosh i hate to call it female friendship because they're stalking each other and killing each other and want to capture each other but it's um it's another thing where race is not that's not the point of this show it's like the last thing that you're thinking about with this show and it's their kind of um uh obsessive friendship where they also you know they're at odds of each other but they also really understand each other so that's that's another one, yeah. So one of the things that you're kind of bringing up that uh, the last kind of relationship that I wanted to talk about were like work relationships. And I feel like yes. like Hollywood, you know, I get down on Hollywood for being that creative, but I do feel like they often depend on or they rely on the interracial business friendships, which aren't really friendships. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want right. to be like, it's not the same thing. Like people like no. looking at lists of like best interracial friendships, you know, people put all of these movies like Men in Black, where I don't think mm-hmm. Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones were friends. You know, they had a work relationship and that's, yeah. it's not the same thing. And that's what, you know, in society, when people want to say, oh yeah, I have black friends or I have Asian friends because they work with somebody, but they right. don't really right. understand what their life is like outside of the office. And to see that on the screen does reinforce people thinking like, oh, yeah, we have I'm, I have friends that are mm-hmm. that's not a friendship. That's a work relationship right. and not to diminish it, but it's not a friendship. I had a very hard time. So I've got a bunch of lists in front of me because when I knew we were going to talk about this, I was making lists of shows and TV shows and movies. I had a very hard time to find things where people were not thrown together by work or by school. <laughs> um, and they just sort of, I mean, obviously you find a lot of friends from work and from school. But like that example, Men in Black, were you know they're not going to be friends outside of work. <laughs> I mean, part part of the whole humor of movies like that is that they're opposites and that, you know, they have to sort of teach each other about each other, but they're forced to be together because of this assignment they have. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And yeah. so so then, like, on the opposite side of that, the movies that we know are about friendship, like, I was making a list of, like, the shows and movies, and some of these are old, but, like, Thelma and Louise or The Hangover, even Waiting to Exhale, we see those really great movies that are about deep, solid friendships are monoracial. I don't know if that's really yeah. the right word. They, where, it's, where they're all of the same, the same race. race. Exactly. Yeah. Sex yeah. in the city, right? Like the quintessential four women, yeah. you know, like going through life's issues and having each other's backs. We don't see those deep friendships, particularly with women that are cross-cultural or cross-racial. But I wanted to like... Friends as well. 
friends. Oh, I know, right? And wasn't yeah. it like the running joke? Like, couldn't they get one black friend? Like, just I know, just one I black know. friend. I mean, they live in New York, and you never right? see any. <laughs> and so, like, when you think about like the statistics, like saying that, well, the way that you have an interracial friendship is if you have interracial, like, if you live in a situation where it's diverse, or you go to work, or you go to school, or you live in a city that's very diverse. So, like, again, looking at the numbers, you could say, like, well, you know, maybe a lot of people don't live in a situation where they come in contact with people of a different race. But it was New York. Like, that's yes. the part that was a little like, come on, really? I know. But, yeah. you know, so, but I want to jump over before we run out of time to yours and my, I think, favorite prop culture production, which are books. Like, where <laughs> we see interracial friendships in books. And again, I was like, actually like having a hard time coming up with stories of interracial friendships in adult books. But was having in in young adult books. Exactly. (laughs) Totally good. Yes, we yes, I'm so glad we had that same realization. And even more in like middle grade, like middle grade and below, I thought was just full of interracial friendships. Because you're trying to teach kids, especially like, you know, I'm reading I read books to my kids now and I I am always on the lookout for books with interracial friendships and characters because that's what my kids are. Mm -hmm. And um and I want them to see these examples because representation is the first step in feeling like you're part of society and that your story matters. And so I look for those things for my kids. But yeah, you're right. It's in the childhood books and in YA. And then later it gets a little bit sort of the same thing that you were saying about uh, Sesame Street and TV and film getting less diverse as people get older. Everything you just said about what you want to get for your kids with books, I want to get for my kids with books. I mean, my boys are like 17 and 14. I still pick out their books. Yes, I do. And um, 17 and 14. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. But I have a seven-year-old. Like, I still have a baby. Um, But um, I am totally always on the lookout for books that have friendships, that have main characters that are not all one race. Because my children are mixed race, um... I'm trying to reflect their world, and this is what their world looks like. But um, it is, I'm not going to say easy, because it is still a challenge. As anybody who knows about the campaign, we need diverse books. It's still a challenge to find interracial or multiracial characters, but it's definitely easier to find them in books for young people. I think it's almost kind of, I want to say almost cool now in some ways to like make your book have an ensemble cast in the book or like a friend who's black or, you know, non-black or something else, which is kind of cool to see. Um, But even there, sometimes some of this almost feels forced, you know, in the there's not necessarily a reason that that character is of a different color or something like that, or it's just a brown character, but there's no real like connection to the culture or something like that. But I do feel it. Are you talking about YA or are you talking about... Um, I'm talking about uh, like the little older. books, the little books. Oh, the little, the little books. books okay. Like where sometimes they just, you know, like, I'm just going to make all the characters different colors. You know what I mean? Where right. it's not necessarily giving your child anything real to see or to, right. to connect with. Um, but right. still, I think that it's definitely easier to see it in the younger books for younger kids. But I thought it was kind of interesting how I could not think of many for adult books. Yeah, I mean, I was, I, I, again, and maybe this is just a reflection of what <laughs> what I read um, out for work and, and for pleasure, but um, 
Celeste Ng. Do you read any of, of her books? Yes, she wrote yes. Little Fires Everywhere. Exactly. And yes. I mean, I feel like she's sort of um, one of the popular um, writers that are doing that. And I mean, obviously, some of it is plot point, but also I think it's also a reflection of her experience. But the fact that her books are optioned by Reese Witherspoon and, and to be made into movies that are going to be reflecting these kind of diverse characters, I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, and it was a very popular book. Um, before her, Jennifer Weiner, I, I read all of her books, but um, mostly it's white characters, but she had one book that had a trio of female um, protagonists, and one of them was the black woman, and sort of um, tracking that friendship. I remember thinking that that was um, uh, a departure for the books of the time, which seemed very white. Um, but, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think the older, and I think the older... Um, the books get, the less diverse they get. But yeah. that is definitely changing. I yeah. think because there are so many writers of color now who do well. And once I think it's recognized that there is a market for these kinds of books, then there's just going to be more of it. Because um, <laughs> the books industry loves a bandwagon too. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah. and I, I do want to be clear that, you know, that I read a lot of Black and African authors and their books are not necessarily chock full of white people or Asian people Mm -hmm. either, that a lot of times people are writing their experiences. So if our experiences are still so segregated in real life, then our literature that we produce is also going to be, and I don't mean to say it's segregated as if it's like a negative thing, but if your world is mostly black or if your world is, you know, mostly white or mostly Asian, then it makes sense that that's what your literature is going to look like. And if we, again, look at the numbers, if that's what society still looks like, then it would make sense that the majority of our stories look like that, too. I did not read or see Crazy Rich Asians, but mm-hmm. I'm guessing that there weren't any white people in that story. No, not that I remember. I don't <laughs> No, A lot of it was set in Singapore. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember if, the, if there was... I don't remember any. Like, I think a lot of it is in YA and I think in the teen space, especially. Um, you know, I'm thinking of Love, Simon. That had um, a diverse group of characters. I mean, Simon obviously is white, but I think everything is happening, which I think is great for the future of our kids, that a lot of the teen programming now, not children's, but teen, feature diverse characters. So is Love, Simon, and um, 13 Reasons Why. I mean, and, and it wasn't, those are really popular products of a pop culture where it's not about the race, but it just is because of the, the cast. And I feel like, I think, What you just said, I hope that that is true. And I feel like as our kids' generation do seem to live in more diverse spaces, that they will be creating the pop culture products that they will be consuming and they will reflect, you know, a world that they're seeing. And if it's starting in their children's books and in their TV shows and their movies, then they'll expect to see it or they'll create it for themselves. One thing I don't know anything about is video games. I have no idea if they <laughs> are showing multi <laughs> So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a pin in that and come back okay. to it and I look into it. I play them sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and find out if there's like yeah. diverse characters in the world of gaming. That would be interesting I, to you find know what? out. I, I'm, I think there are just if me looking over when he's playing kind of is any indication. <laughs> Not that I'm uh, invested in it or know much about it at all, but um, I feel... And I do think that this is a good thing because I think representation is the first step. I know when I was growing up, and I'm sure you had a similar experience, I didn't see myself anywhere in pop culture and in books, and that just makes you feel more other. And I think that 
the more representation happens in pop culture, the better it is for children and people of color. And I guess for everybody, because it's just more of a reflection of the world as it is. And where it's obviously heading. I mean, demographically, yeah. we know that's true. And I mm-hmm. really think it is so important that people who are creating pop culture products do think about representation of interracial friendships and not just mm-hmm. romance, because, yes. you know, you can do so much with these friendships. Um, a lot of people talk about the movie Blind Spotting, which I actually just watched last night. Oh, which, I haven't seen that. Yeah, it's, um, it's an indie film, and it's about basically a black man and a white man who grew up together since they were like 12 in Oakland and dealing with gentrification. But it's really about their lives as a black man and a white man who saw themselves as the same for the most part. But then with the, again, with gentrification and with police brutality against black men, they had to reckon with who really was privileged in that relationship and who, you know, it dealt with a lot of racial issues in a really kind of raw but very real way. And the entire cast was really diverse. The black man was dating a woman who you couldn't tell what she was. She was Asian. She was Indian. She was a mix of something. And, you know, his mother was black but was married to an Asian man. And he had like a half Asian brother. Like, I mean, there was so much diversity in that entire cast. It felt very real for Oakland, right? And so like that seems to me the way that pop culture helps us shape a future where we can talk about these things and we can talk and progress because that's what pop culture can do for us, right? It can reflect, yes. but it can also give us something to think about and move forward. Yeah. I mean, just covering, I mean, covering movies and covering TV and um, yeah, I've had to edit a lot of stories where we interview um, stars and actors and people of color and saying how it just means so much to them to be able to do these kinds of projects now because they couldn't see themselves before. And the more that this happens, the more it sort of unites people in, in not making this a token thing you know, just making it part of life and a real part of life. And I think that's super important. And pop culture is a really strong way of doing it because it's not, you know, this is what people do for entertainment. It's not school. It's something that people are doing for enjoyment. So putting that message in that format, I think, is really important. So um, before we finish this conversation, I have to say, are there any real life interracial friendships that you, like, think about as, like, yeah, they're, they're great? And I'm going to give you mine first. Like, this is okay, my, yeah. like, favorite interracial friendship. And that is Barack Obama and Joe Biden. Yes. <laughs> I love that one. The bromance. The bromance, of course. Like, <laughs> I thought they did, like, a final video of, you know, when he, they were leaving office that just literally brought tears to my eyes. And I I mean, sure, that was a work relationship. And, you know, it even started out kind of on shaky ground. I mean, yeah. like, in the very beginning of, you know, when they were rivals, actually. But I genuinely feel that their affection and friendship is real. I mean, after eight years together and, you know, Joe Biden losing his son and like they've been through so much together. Like, I really, really believe that they are friends. So that's my favorite interracial friendship. My romance. Thank you. Thank you. That's a really good one. Um, What you got, Clarissa? What I got. Um... (laughs) Well, I see. I have, this is the thing because I don't know if they're friends in real life, but they definitely seem like they are. But um, <laughs> Ali Wong and Tiffany Haddish, oh, um, because they do have a project together, but they seem to always like like each other, have each other's back on Instagram, um, and they're doing a cartoon series together. But no they also really seem to get along. I mean, the, they play different. Um, I think they're animals, so it's not like the cartoon is interracial, but um, 
but you can't top Barack and Joe Biden. I know. This is like, I know. I know. I'm sorry. Everything that, every, everything that I that I um <laughs> that I uh, is is going to pale in comparison because that's not just like a friendship. That's just the bromance of that of is all time. exactly exactly <laughs> exactly. So I'm not going to hold you to like coming up with a better one because I think I picked the very very best one. Right. But Clarissa, thank you so much for talking with me today and. Tell people, Clarissa, how they can stay in touch with the things that you do, what you're writing about, what you're Instagramming about. My Instagram handle and Twitter handle is ClarissaNYC1. Even though I live in L.A., it's always going to be ClarissaNYC1. And uh, obviously in EW.com for Entertainment Weekly because that's where I'm working these days. And, um, and I guess, yeah, those are the best places to follow and reach. We'll put everything on the show notes on the My American Melting Pot blog so people can find you. Thank you so much for joining us. No problem. Thanks, Lori. Clearly, Clarissa and I could have continued our conversation about interracial friendships for hours. There's so much to say, and there are so many interracial friendships depicted in popular culture these days, which is definitely an improvement. I think there are more nuanced portrayals of interracial friendships than there were when I was growing up, that's for sure. But there's still some work to be done in the non-stereotypical types of interracial friendships that we do see. But I think we're definitely making progress. At the end of the day, it's really important to understand that interracial friendships play an important role in moving the discussion forward about race and racism in this country. By being mindful of what other people are going through in this multiracial, multicultural society we live in, again, having a friend of a different race is probably one of the best and easiest ways to foster that level of understanding. But the fact that only 15% of the population has an interracial friend is troubling. If you're one of the 85% of Americans who still doesn't have a friend of a different race, you should maybe try to get one. (laughs) And if you don't know how, check out the show notes for this episode on the My American Melting Pot blog. I'm going to have some resources there that could help you maybe figure out how you could cultivate some friendships across color lines. If you know of any interracial friendships that we didn't mention on the show, in movies, in television, in books, or in real life, tell me about them. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Leave me a message on the blog, tweet at me at Ms. Melting Pot, or leave me a comment on our Facebook page. Either way, I'd love to hear about it. Thank you. Now, speaking of leaving me messages... If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you don't feel like using your thumbs at the moment, just tell a friend. Any way you can help me spread the word about the podcast is very much appreciated. So thank you in advance. Don't forget, there's always fresh new Melting Pot content for you to enjoy on the blog and on all of our social media channels. Go to MyAmericanMeltingPot.com for all the links. This episode of My American Melting Pot was recorded at WRTI Studios in Philadelphia. Our producer and editor is Brad Linder. Our sound engineers are Tyler McClure, Joe Patty, and Paul Marchesani. Our PR and marketing guru is Darian Muka, and our theme music was composed by Sumi Tanoka. Thank you for listening to My American Melting Pot, and remember to always live your life in color.